What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers Podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both in their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today, I am talking to Dominic Mann. Dominic, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are the founder of Mentor Cruise, which is a side project you've been working on for a number of years. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is and who uses it? Yeah. Um, so what Mentor Cruise is, um, it's a marketplace for people in tech to find a mentor. Um, so if you're just getting into tech, if you want to uh, reach for a promotion, learn something new, or if you want to change your career into tech, it's nice to have someone at the boat with you, um, someone who can kind of guide you um, through that process. Um, and that's what Mentor Cruise is here for, um, for people to find someone um, to get them through the journey. It's the marketplace right now. Um, so we have a list of 160 mentors that you can search for. Um, it's all about being in tech. So there are design mentors, there are engineering mentors for different technologies, but also mentors for people in management, product management, um, things like that. Um, and people can look for these mentors um, get in touch with them and usually for a weekly fee between zero to $50 per week, they get matched up with them formally and start working together, uh, together with them on a long-term basis. I love that. So pretty much anything you want to do in tech, anything you want to get good at or any new job you want to have, I can go on mentor cruise and find somebody who's already an expert and then pay them to basically what, spend an hour with me just talking on video chat or something. No, that's the difference about Mentor Cruise is that it's um, for long-term mentorship. Um, so you pay a weekly fee, and during that that time period, um, you have an open chat connection with your mentor. Um, you can organize the mentorship as you want. So um, some mentors do provide like weekly video calls where you check in. Some others do it uh, twice per month or once per month to check in. But the idea is that you can book a mentor and stay with their, that mentors for months, uh, for months, if not even years. We have a few mentorships now who have been going on for one and a half years. And just to have somebody during the whole process, whatever you might want to have, uh, want to learn or what you want to achieve, uh, that during that whole time, you have access to a mentor that you can write anytime. Very cool. I have a chess coach who I pay uh, 30 bucks a week to meet with. <laughs> Yeah, I love, I love, I love the whole idea of having somebody who's an expert to help you out because it's a forcing function. Like I will uh, be lazy most of the week and not really practice chess, and then Wednesday's coming up, and I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed and and not have done anything. And so then I like get my stuff together, and I really it just motivates me to be better. Yeah, it's it's an excellent source of accountability. I think that's the first ever observation I got from this is that mentors tend to give you the resources that you could find on the internet to yourself, um, but they're there for you to have someone to check in. Uh, you have a source of accountability. You have somebody exactly. who knows your process. And I think that's why this kind of coaching thing is coming up more and more now. Yeah, the internet is, is such a valuable source of information. You can find pretty much everything, but it's missing that crucial ingredient, which is motivation. Just because right. the information is there doesn't mean you're actually going to find it. And it doesn't mean you're going to you know, motivate yourself to read it and sit down every week, but somebody else can sort of light a fire under your butt and get you to do those things. That's right. So you said that, you know, we have a list of 160 mentors, but actually Mentor Cruise is just you. It's yeah, your side right. project. It's a one-person operation. 
And I think you're making something around $700 a month now. Yeah, Is that correct? That's right. What motivated you to start this side project? Um, so I started this a while ago, um, as you said. I think I got the idea in 2017. And my background is a bit unusual. I went through this apprenticeship program uh, that we have here in Switzerland for software engineering. Um, and kind of towards the end of that, I was getting into machine learning, started to kind of teach that uh, myself through courses and Udacity. And Udacity has a thing um, where you get, a, for at least at the time, uh, you got a mentor with your um, course or with your degree. Um, so also somebody who checks in with you, somebody who keeps you accountable. And I really like that. So when I left Udacity, I lost access to that mentor. I was going into an internship um, at a big tech company, which was quite demanding. And, you know, I had to study. I had to, to learn and keep up. And during that time, I would have really liked to have a mentor too. Um, so I got this idea of what if, you know, I built a site where anybody could go and find a mentor, um, not just if, if you're in a course, not just if you're in school or if you're in a job, just somebody who sticks with you uh, no matter what, if you change jobs or schools or whatever. I love how that's basically on your own experience. So you yeah. had, as you said, an apprenticeship, which is very much like having a long-term mentor. And then you right. had your mentor on uh, Udacity. So you also got like kind of a second shot at having a mentor. So it's right. no surprise that you could build a mentorship platform. And you kind of know exactly <laughs> what needs to go into it because you've been in that position before. Yeah. I mean, I think mentorship is, is immensely valuable. Even when I went into my internship, um, I had a mentor again. And I just think it's somebody who kind of can, went through whatever you went through. Um, so they can point out the, the kind of tripping uh, wires and can help you get further quicker. But the problem is always if you, you know, if you switch employers, if you switch schools, if you switch from an apprenticeship or an internship, you're essentially losing access to that mentor. And even if you have a new mentor, you need to kind of bring them up to speed. Right. So, you know, having somebody from a third party with you is, yeah, quite valuable in my opinion. So I've never been to Switzerland where you live. I'm curious what the tech scene is like there. How do people react if you tell them that you're working remotely for a Silicon Valley startup and that you're also building your own app on the side? Yeah. Um, so there is a, a tech scene in, uh, in Switzerland or in Zurich specifically where I live. It's quite smaller. I think the Europe hub is more in kind of the Nordic countries in Sweden. But there are definitely a few interesting startups here. There, I think a lot, a lot of the startups are based around kind of financial tech or fintech. That's kind of what Switzerland is known for, banks. So a lot of the startups here are also trying to break through in that space. Um, but there's also kind of a world-class um, university here, um, which provides a new source of people that start uh, startups. So I think a lot of people here are, you know, in kind of the same boat as me where they're working and kind of working on something else on the side. But having this aspect of working remotely, um, as I said, I'm working remotely from here for a San Francisco startup, I think is quite special. Um, so I think that combination is, yeah, not as common, but um, at least for me, I think it's it's quite nice because you get you get kind of both sides of the coin where you're working um, for a startup, which is obviously very exciting. But then you have this little thing on the side that you have during nights and weekends uh, where you have kind of the full, um, full control um, and you can bring your creativity in that. And I mean, essentially, if you're building a side project that is generating revenue, you're really 
every employee. So you're responsible for marketing. You're responsible for building this. Yeah, you wear um, every hat. Yeah, you're responsible for product. You're responsible for sales. Um, so I think that builds a very broad skill set, which is probably you know quite in demand nowadays too. Yeah, it's super interesting as a founder to also work at a company because you see everybody with these specialized skill sets, but you right. realize, as you said, you actually you also have to do all those specialized skill sets yourself when you're a founder. That's Maybe you don't go quite as deep as everybody, but you have to go broad and you have to understand the trade-off between, you know, when have I written enough code and when do I need to focus more on sales and what, you know, how to, what's the interplay between these things that when you're just sort of one employee at a company, you don't have to think that broadly. Yeah, and I think that's super exciting and super valuable as well, especially if you work in engineering or more on the technical side, um, I think a lot of people tend to to lose focus of the, the greater thing and just worry about the engineering parts totally. of it. So if you have something on the side and you work on marketing and sales and design and, and all that stuff, I think you're you're starting to kind of see things again from, from a, a bigger view. How do you juggle having the time to work a full-time job? And also have a side project that's a full business for you where you're trying to generate revenue. Because I think a lot of people want to do that, but it's really hard to work up the motivation and to find the time. How do you do that, Dominic? Um, I think it's a matter of planning. Um, I think you have kind of the block of day work, which is kind of blocked out for, you know, for the company um, that you're working for. Um, but there are a lot of hours around that. Um, and you need to find a way to use the time that's available to you um, for kind of the best reasons. Um, so, you know, as a remote worker, I, I don't have a commute, so I get a bit of extra time every day. Um, but even if you have half an hour or an hour every day, you need to, to plan every day. What am I going to do with this specific hour? And then you end up with a backlog and you end up throwing things away that aren't as important for the things that are more important and you you tend to specialize or, or concentrate on the things that are truly important to the app or to building that side business. Um, and I think then, you know, the more time, the better. But if you if you have an hour every evening and maybe sometime on the weekends, I think you can do quite a bit with today's tools. I love that point about being willing to throw away things that are less important for things that are more important, because time is sort of this fixed thing. It's really hard to create more time, even if you're a super efficient planner at the end of the day, you still have this fixed amount of time. And so you kind of have to shift the scope of what you're working on to match that fixed amount of time. And that might require being pretty ruthless about not building that feature you really wanted to build or not sending that email you really wanted to send because you just don't have time to do it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do you remember what your planning looked like in the very early days of Mentor Cruise when you were first getting started? Yeah, I think that's quite different from anybody else. But in the beginning, my to-do list for Mentor Cruise was always quite empty. I had the features that, that I wanted, but especially after I had built kind of the MVP, I concentrated 100% on, on marketing. And that's where I tried out a lot of things um, and kind of just reserved, you know, 20, 30 minutes per day to try out a new channel, to post things on Reddit, to, to write something. Nowadays, it's a lot more complicated. I kind of have a user base now that is giving me feedback. I need to work right. on building new features. I need to be, uh, work on marketing and getting the word out. So I think now it's actually quite more um, difficult to, to balance that. What about the pre-MVP days where you were just first starting to build what would eventually become Mentor Cruise? How long did it take you to get to the point where people could actually use it? Well, way, way too long. Uh, that's the first part. Um, yeah, back then I was uh, in my internship. So I had a commute, a very long one, like three hours. Um, 
three hours. Yeah, so day. it was like one, one and a half hours each way. Wow. Um, so there wasn't a lot of time. And I also didn't understand what an MVP is. So I had way too many features uh, on my plan. <laughs> so I guess the implementation part maybe took three or four months. Um, and that was really just like every day, one, two hours. Or maybe if, if I went to sleep a little later, it was three or four hours. And then on the weekends. And then it probably took me like one or two months where I was doing some pre-launch marketing because it's a marketplace. So I had to get mentors uh, on there before I was able to launch this. So I worked another month or two on just doing that. Talked to uh, Chad Pytel on the podcast a few months back. He's the CEO of a development agency called ThoughtBot. And they build all these different products for different clients and help them launch their MVPs. And every single client they have, they say the same thing. You don't need half of these features you think you really need to launch. Let's pare it down and get you just the essentials, and you can iterate from there. But then when they're building their own internal products and tools, they fall into the same trap, and they yeah. find themselves justifying that they need to put up this feature in their MVP and that feature in, and it's just really hard to keep the scope small early on. But four months still isn't that long, especially working an hour a day. It seems like you were pretty successful at, at, at reducing the scope. Yeah, I think, I mean, one part of it is definitely also, again, that you have this new feature on your plan. And then when you actually have to build it in your one or two hours of free time, you, you start asking yourself, do I really need to build this or can I build this? Yeah, may, maybe a little bit more lightweight. Um, so one good example was, for example, an appointment scheduler. Um, so you want to be able to ask your mentee, uh, mentor for a video call, and then you want to be able to schedule this. So right at the beginning, I was planning on writing my own kind of scheduling thing. Right. And then I was thinking, well, there, there are all the services, there are Calendly and all these things. Why don't I just provide a link to that and let people do it themselves? Um, Boom. And suddenly you've saved like two months. Of yeah, time. exactly. And I think a lot of things started yeah, going like that, where I was thinking to myself, do I really need... Um, to build my own chat? Do I really need to build my own task management software and then start using uh, software that's available? So one of the challenges with a business like Mentor Cruise is that it's a marketplace. You're trying to connect these two different groups of people. You have mentors on one side, mentees on the other. And it's notoriously difficult to get a marketplace off the ground because no one wants to be the first. Why would you be a mentor on a platform where there's no one to mentor? And why would you be a mentee on a platform where there's nobody to mentor you? How did you get over that hump in the early days? Yeah, um, so I was aware of that difficulty, right, when I, when I kind of planned this. So my plan was before I even launched a platform, I should have at least like 30 mentors um, already on there, like day one when I launched um, so as I told you, I was building the platform and then when it was about done, I realized, oh, now I need to, to fill it up. Um, so I had this very, very small landing page up. It was basically just mentor crews connecting mentors and mentees and then an email field. And I was reaching out to people on Twitter. Um, and I think like probably a few hundred people, actually people who work in tech, who are, you know, more on the senior side but also a lot of people who have a certain audience and following and was DMing them and asking, Hey, I'm building this platform. You're able to make some money with it, but not too much. Would you be interested on, you know, mentoring some people? And a lot of people didn't answer me. A lot of people didn't reply. <laughs> um, some people gave me their email address. I think in the end, like 60, if I remember correctly, like 60 people gave me their email address. Um, so at 60, I was kind of confident uh, and launched this. And on the first few days, I had about 
like 10 or 12 people actually going through and creating their profile on, on Mentor Cruise, which, you know, isn't a lot, but I had 12 people on there who were available and, and people could book them. And yeah, the other thing is I was looking for people with a certain following. So, you know, people tweeted it out. Um, at least some of the 12 people um, had a bit of an audience. So they tweeted it out, said, hey, I'm on Mentor Cruise. Would you like to work with me? And that kind of gave the first boost of people coming in. Reminds me a lot of the early days of Andy Hackers, sending hundreds of emails, most people not replying. And then I ended up launching with like 10 or 12 interviews or something. But when you're early on, that's all that really matters. It's yeah. like, you know, a dozen or something is probably all you really need to get started. You can grow from there. That's right. Um, I was talking about doing things that don't scale on a podcast episode last year. And somebody commented and said, I like the Andy Hackers podcast, except for when they get into this really basic stuff, like do things that don't scale. Then I just roll my eyes. And I think of it so differently. Whereas for me, those are the fundamentals. And the fundamentals in anything you do are the most important thing you can do. And it's really easy to confuse, I think, being familiar with a particular um, bit of advice because it's so cliche. It gets repeated all the time. You know, solve your own problems, do things that don't scale, talk to your users. It's like, oh, I'm so familiar with this. I must understand it. But just because you're familiar with something doesn't mean you understand it. Yeah, that's right. And just because you understand it doesn't mean you're adhering to it. Like you could know all this stuff and not actually do it. So I really like that you kind of, you know, button down the hatches early on and you just talk to as many people as possible. And you knew that even though marketplaces are hard to start, that as long as you sort of focus on one side first and you get that built up, uh, and you send a ton of emails and a ton of direct messages, then you can sort of go to the other side and try to convince the mentees to join the platform. What happened with that side of the market? Did people actually respond uh, well when you first launched? Yeah, um, I think a lot of people responded very well. Um, there was a lot of the, the followers um, of the, the initial mentors uh, who said, hey, I wanted to to talk to you for a while, so kind of let's let's get started. There was also this um, Udacity crowd, which kind of was kind of in the same boat as me. Um, so I knew that people would lose their mentors quickly. And then people started coming in and either signing up as a mentor them- themselves or um, want to get continued mentorship from that. And then over time, um, I built this, you know, this base of, of mentors. Um, so they were able to bring more people in. Um, and then also some SEO effect kicked in where people actually searching for um, for mentors got shown our website on Google. And I think it's quite compelling if you say, I'm looking for a, a Python mentor, a machine learning mentor, when you actually see 10 people you can book right now um, who are able to teach you that. Um, I think that's quite powerful. And people started uh, noticing that and kind of coming through those channels too. What do you think was the biggest single channel for helping you find more mentees for your platform? Oh, right now it's it's SEO and Google for sure. What about finding more mentors? Because I know you have considerably more than just those initial 12. How have you continued to get more people to come on to you, mentor Cruz and Andrea to mentor others? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, a lot of it has been the same thing, really, uh, messaging loads and loads of people and seeing if they're interested. And I think with, with size, mentor Cruz got a little bit more credible. Um, so I, I see now... Before I launched or at the early days, I messaged a hundred people. I've written every message by hand and personal, by the way. <laughs> um, I don't really like spamming, but I messaged those people and out of a hundred people, maybe like 10 answered me and eight of those answers have been, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now when I message like 10 or 20 people, uh, because I really like them and I think they really do great work. Then it's a little bit different and people see the platform and people are 
yeah, people like it. And I think that they're great that they're getting approached. So I think it has a lot more, yeah, it's a lot more attractive um, to people essentially. Um, so how does your, how does your business model work? Cause I, you're making 700 bucks a month. I assume you're just taking a small cut of what the mentees are paying the mentors. That's right. So that's the main channel right now. Um, we're taking 15% of every transaction. There are a few more channels now coming. We recently launched sessions, um, which instead of signing up for a, for a mentor long-term, you can sign up with them and, and get like a CV review. Um, and we don't get a, we get a fixed um, price on top of that, um, not a percentage. But there are a lot of things I want to discover in the future because, yeah, scale, scaling that little cut is really, really difficult. Um, and I don't really want to make it more expensive because it's basically taking away from the money that people earn. Um, right. And that seems kind of predatory. So exploring other revenue sources is something that's on my plan very soon. Yeah, that's an interesting pool. You kind of have, on one hand, you want to make as much money as possible yourself. But on the other hand, your platform is more attractive if your mentors are making as much money as possible. And so yeah. it's like, how do you figure out the equilibrium point where uh, you're sort of doing the best in both both areas? That's right, yeah. I like that Mentor Cruise is focused on consumers. You're really selling this to average individuals. You're not selling this to businesses. Some of the most common advice is as a founder, you should sell to businesses. Yeah. They have the money and they pay for more things than consumers do. But I do think there is kind of a, a, a group of things that consumers are happy to pay a lot of money for. Yeah. And education and learning, especially if you're teaching somebody something valuable that they think can make them more money in the future or give them a career. People are happy to fork over thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars to do things like go to college or join a programming boot camp or maybe even have uh, a mentor. How do you think about the fact that you're selling to consumers? How do you think about trying to convince them that this is something worth paying for when, quite frankly, most people don't pay for mentors and aren't really used to doing so? Yeah, I think that was kind of a big deal in the beginning uh, because mentorship traditionally uh, isn't paid for. I think that's closer to, to coaching and things like that. So a lot of people were a little bit upset about that at first. But essentially, that doesn't matter um, when people really want a mentor and they're lacking the network, um, they're lacking you know, people they can reach out to. It's just very, very convenient to have someone saying, hey, give me $10 per week, which isn't a ton of money, and I'm going to be with you at every step of the journey. And yeah, at times, I, I think that selling to consumers is a little bit cumbersome, especially at times when you have somebody you know, spending $10 and then sending... 10 emails because they weren't satisfied and want a refund. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th then I'm asking myself, is this, is this really worth it? Um, but as you said, people, <laughs> people like to pay for development, progress, um, education. So there are people, you know, paying two to $400 per month really for a mentor. Um, and they say it's totally worth it. And they would do it as long as they have that disposable in income that they can do for self-improvement. You wrote a milestone on your Indie Hackers product page for Mentor Cruise uh, last month where you said, I just wrote 120 emails. And so you went into your database, you queried all of your power users. These are mentees who've been signed up with mentors for six months or more, who've paid you know, over $1,000 for Mentor Cruise over time. And you wrote a personal, unique email for each and every one of these people. How did that turn out? Did you learn anything? Yeah, um, that was probably the most amazing thing I've done uh, in the past few months. Um, and we were talking before about talking to your users. Um, and I think I was part of that crowd who said, oh, I know what talking to my users is um, because I'm sending surveys during my, uh, with my email newsletter a few times and I get a few responses on that. So I'm totally talking to my users. <laughs> um, 
But at some point I realized that um, I'm getting all messages from people who are not satisfied. Um, right. You know, people who want refunds, people who g- uh, give bad ratings, things like that. But I never thought about reaching out to people who, where everything just goes smoothly. So yeah, that's what I did. I got maybe like 20 or 30 replies from those uh, 100 plus emails. Um, should probably follow up more with more people. Uh, but it was amazing to discover what kind of people are on the platform and what they use it for. Um, and I think I was kind of missing that before because I tried to put everyone in, in a survey or, uh, you know, somewhere as a data point. But if you send everyone email, um, you get the personal stories behind it. And I'm not sure if it's another Indie Hacker milestone, but um, a few of kind of success stories came out of that. Um, from Ryan Wilson, who's a, a pro basketball player or used to be a pro basketball player in the UK. And then after he got retired, he wanted to get into cybersecurity and kind of got into that uh, with the help of one of our mentors. And I'm, I'm talking to Very another cool. um, long-term mentee right now who's paid beyond $1,000 for mentorship from two or three different mentors now, um, who's, who's an Afghanistan uh, veteran and is kind of trying to break into full-stack development uh, with the help of two or three of our mentors. So yeah, those stories are just amazing. And I think you don't hear about them if you just you know send an email newsletter or put everyone in a survey or things like that. It's interesting to try to think about who you're listening to in terms of your user base. Because you mentioned that, okay, when you send one type of email, you're getting responses from like the disgruntled users who are unhappy and want fixes or changes or refunds. But if you identify the best users, you get a totally different type of feedback and totally different stories. And I think it's hard to decide, should I be improving things for the people who are unhappy? Should I be fixing bugs and issues and sort of you know making the minimum experience better? Or should I be doubling down on the things that are working really well for the users who are having a good experience? What do you think is the best way forward for mentor crews? Yeah, I think you need to listen to both uh, sides. Um, But obviously, if somebody is disgruntled, somebody didn't like the service, um, in many cases, something that you can't do anything about it. Um, You know, sometimes some expectations were met. um, Sometimes something went bad. Um, So you need to to listen for things that are recurring, I think. And if you see that, you know, people cancel your service and kind of leave your platform because of this one reason every time. That's something you should listen to and something you need to to improve on. Um, but on the other side, if you talk to people who like your service and they tell you, hey, I'd really appreciate if you do that or this, um, that's probably something that could make your, your service better for the people that are already there and make them stay longer. So both are very, very valuable. Listen, Dominic, I am a fan of Mentor Cruise. I'm a fan of mentorship in general. And I think most people listening to this podcast would probably be better off if they found some mentors too. Can you let us know what your advice is for people who are in the position where they need mentors, people who are just now starting side projects or considering starting side projects so they're kind of where you were a couple of years ago? What would you say to them? Yeah, get someone uh, in the boat with you. That's my that's my number one advice. Be it through Mentor Cruise or through your network. Um, I think you know Indie Hackers is another great platform where you can people where you can get people to be part of your journey. And yeah, I think especially when you're building a, a side project, but also if you're changing careers or you're learning something new, it's a long process and you need a lot of motivation. Um, and I think not a lot of people who aren't in the same boat as you can give you that type of motivation. Um, so yeah, get somebody who stays with you. Get, uh, get to know some people at Indie Hackers meet, meetups um, or in the forums. Or, you know, if you don't, don't know anybody uh, who can help you, 
head over to mentorcruise.com and get somebody there. Thanks so much, Dominic, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you tell us where we can go to uh, find out more about you and what you're up to at Mentor Cruise or get in touch if anyone's interested? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, you can find me at DQMon. That's D-Q-M-O-N-N. Um, I'm also on Indie Hackers. I think my name might be D-Q-M-O-N-N too. Um, but I'm, you know, you will see my face in the forums um, and I'll also be on in the comments under this uh, podcast for sure. And yeah, if you're looking for a mentor, go over to mentorcruise.com. We have 160 mentors in tech. Um, So if you want to have somebody on the journey with you, uh, that's a good place to go. Thanks again, Dominic. Yeah, thanks for having me. Quick note for listeners. If you're interested in coming onto the podcast to have a quick chat with me, go to indiehackers.com slash milestones and post a milestone about whatever it is that you're working on. I mean, pretty much anything. People have posted about launching or finding their first customers. They posted about growing their mailing list or hitting a thousand followers on Twitter. They posted about getting to a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue. The sky is the limit. So whatever it is you're proud of, come post it on ndhackers.com slash milestones and the rest of us will help you celebrate. And what I will do is at the end of every week, I'll look at the top milestones posted and reach out to people to invite them to come onto the show for a quick chat. So once again, that's ndhackers.com slash milestones. I'm looking forward to seeing what you post. Mm-hmm.